Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. For the first time, I was dealing with something where it's like, oh, you've just labeled me when I never had that label before. Whereas my experience and my existence prior to that surrounded by a lot of multiracial kids and families. And it wasn't until I got to college and all of a sudden I was a minority. All of a sudden there was not a lot of me and I, I stick out a lot more. But my saving grace was uh, the theater department. I was uh, an actor. I was in uh, a place where there was a massive amount of acceptance because we were all sort of fringe people. So it's like all of a sudden you're not the only outsider here. Hi, I'm Lou Diamond Phillips and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. I'm so thrilled to share that today we welcome Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips is best known, at least to me anyway, from his breakthrough role as Richie Valens in La Bamba, which was filmed in the 80s. You might also recognize him from Stand and Deliver, where he was nominated for a Golden Globe Award. He's also played the king in The King and I, as well as a number of other notable films. Lou's with us today because he's recently been in a brand new film called Easter Sunday, which is a hilarious movie about a Filipino-American family starring Joe Coy, Tia Carrera, and many of our other favorites. Lou plays himself in this film, and he tells us that it's the very first time he's ever played a Filipino-American on screen. So how appropriate that the very first time he represents his own culture is also in a role where he represents himself. I loved talking to him. He's been someone who I've watched on screen since I was a young girl. And I just remember even back then, knowing that it was a really, really big deal to see somebody on screen that looked so much like me. I'm not Filipino, but he was one of the very few Asian American actors that made it to the big screen so early on. And I'm saying early on, which really was in the 80s. So maybe it wasn't super early, but at least in my own time so far. And he's always been a really notable character for that reason. 
you will be very thrilled, I think, with this conversation. Lou is thoughtful. He is open. We talked a lot about his childhood and where he grew up and what his experiences were. Lou's also dabbled in a couple of other projects off screen since you may have last seen him in some feature films. So recently he wrote a book called Tinderbox, which he talks about as well. Turns out that one of his dreams growing up was to be a writer. And so he made that come true finally just a couple years ago. So we're going to put some of that stuff in the show notes. We'll definitely link you guys to Easter Sunday as well. We hope you see it. It's out in theaters now. I really enjoyed it. I I went to the screening just a couple of nights ago with my husband and we really, really just loved seeing so many Asian faces on screen, but even more being able to laugh about things that are just so uniquely hilarious about families and what families do when they get together. So I don't want to spoil it for you, but definitely check out the film. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou, it is such an honor to have you here with us today. Thank you for spending the time with us. Well, thank you, Sharon. Thank you for what you do, too. I think that it's enlightening and informative for a lot of folks out there. Thank you. That means so much. And it, it means a lot that you be open and willing to to share a little bit of who you are with us today. I know you, many of us know you from La Bamba. <laughs> exactly. Many moons like ago. Many, many moons ago. But Lou, I'm wondering, a lot of our guests get this question a lot, and they often are asked, where are you from? <laughs> How would you answer that question? Where are you from, Lou Diamond Phillips? Yeah, well, that's code. Yes, exactly. The where are you from is code for I can't figure you out, so I need some sort of context. And that's hopefully they'll say something that is revelatory in some way, like, yes, I, I was born in a village in Cambodia or something. <laughs> but because the answer for me is so much more complicated, I usually say Texas. <laughs> really? <laughs> and they get really, really, really confused because <laughs> I sure don't present as a Texan. <laughs> and then what do you say then? Do they usually follow up with like, no, but Lou, where are you really from? Well, that's that's a very good question. The other version of that icebreaker mm-hmm. is what's your nationality? Yes. Th- that's the wrong term entirely. I say, well, I'm an American. Right. No, no. you, And, and that's where the, what I mean comes in. Yeah. And it's like, oh, so you're talking about my background. You're talking about my heritage. That's what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Because mm-hmm. as far as nationality is concerned, I've been an American my entire life. Yeah. So when they're trying to ask that question specifically, then I kind of have to give the long version of the story, which is my, my biological father, Gerald Upchurch, and my, my stepfather, George Phillips, were both in the military. They were both in the Navy. And I was born in Subic Bay Naval Air Station in the Philippines and then raised all over because we moved almost every two years, settling down finally in Texas. So what's interesting for, for a lot of people, they, they assume a lot from my roles, mm-hmm. the roles that I've played and the fact that I've been very, very privileged to represent so many different communities. And with the movie Easter Sunday, one of the first times, uh, and certainly one of the biggest opportunities to actually play a Filipino. And so I'm Filipino mostly on my mother's side, but strangely enough, because it is such a crossroads island. I have Hawaiian, I've got Chinese, I've got other Polynesian Pacific Islander blood. And then on my father's side, I'm Scott Irish with a drop of a Native American. And so it makes people, it's difficult for them to pin me down. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got so many cultures in you. That's, I, I don't even, I didn't realize you had such a big mix and such a myriad of cultures. 
I, I'm part Scandinavian too. I mean, there's there's oh some Vi- there's some Viking in there. Yeah, but they <laughs> they they inserted themselves into. They had boats. They had really really good boats. So they made it all over the place. <laughs> You're so funny. And so you would say Texas. How old were you when you arrived in Texas? I was 12, actually. Okay. So I mean, I, I spent a lot of formative years there. I mean, prior to that, my dad had gone to Vietnam, and so we were when he came back, we went to the Philippines for four years. So I returned there and and had a great opportunity to sort of touch base with that aspect of my uh, my own DNA and and, and, yeah. and the culture. And I was older, so I, I knew it. And this is after having lived in Florida and Georgia and Washington mm-hmm. State and a lot of those other places when I was much, much younger. And then moving to Texas at a time when I was going into junior high school and then high school and right. then college. I mean, that those were incredibly formative times for me. Yeah. So compare the difference between you as a child or a young, a young person, preteen in Texas. And I'm assuming there were not a lot of people that looked like you or even had the exact same makeup as you do with all these cultures. With your travels around to other places where maybe there were more familiar folks just from an outward perspective. What was that like? Well, you see, that's, uh, and, and this is the thing, and I, I think the thing that a lot of people don't get is that I was a military brat. Mm-hmm. And so all of the places that I grew up, including Corpus Christi, Texas, where there was a naval base, I had a number of mixed blood friends. And thank goodness for the military. I mean, that's a, that's us be, being ambassadors around the world. So it was not out of the ordinary for me to have Filipino American friends or or other other Asian mixed blood kids around me. And so, interestingly enough, I didn't deal with what I would consider to be a lot of racism early on in my life. Hmm. And, and, and it wasn't until I got to college, man, in, in areas where all of a sudden I was a minority. All of a yeah. sudden. There was not a lot of me. I went to college at the University of Texas at Arlington, and uh, you got Dallas Fort Worth there. Sure. And not not to not to be too arch about it, but it's like I could get a job as a busboy, but they wouldn't hire me as a waiter. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Did you feel like you had to do anything to fit in? It's it's so odd because I, uh, for the first time, was dealing with something where where it's like, oh, you've just labeled me when I never had that label before, and, and that's when those questions, like the ones you were you were leading to, were mm-hmm. much more asked. Like, where are you from? What's right. your background? All of that, because now all of a sudden I was being categorized. Whereas my experience and my existence prior to that, surrounded by a lot of multiracial kids and families. I mean, yeah. even even where I went to high school, we had a lot of Latino kids, a lot of African American kids, and 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 certainly a lot of Filipino American kids from the Navy base. Yeah. So now all of a sudden I, I am in a predominantly white city neighborhood area, and and I, I stick out a lot more. So. I didn't feel like I had to change myself or adjust myself to, to, to fit in. I mean, I, you know, I think I went to one frat rush and then realized I don't want to, I don't really want to be in a fraternity, <laughs> to be quite honest. Right. But, right. but my, my saving grace, my saving grace was the theater department. I, I was, I was a, an actor. I was in a, a place where there was a massive amount of acceptance because we were all sort of fringe people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sort of dealt dealt with having really, really gay friends for the right. first time in my life, which was yeah. a wonderful thing too. So it's like all of a sudden, you're not the only outsider here. Yeah. What did your parents say when you told them you wanted to be an actor? Because most Asian parents mm-hmm. would probably fall off their chair. 
<laughs> what what's really interesting is that is that my dad was in the navy, George. Yep. And yep. mom mom was a housewife and in and, and Filipina. The thing that made everything worse was that I was a really, really good student. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I graduated, yeah. yeah, I graduated fourth in my class. I was school president for mm-hmm. like five years, captain of the football team, just really a president of the student council. Yeah. So there was, there, there were high expectations for me to pursue some sort of academic career. But I wrote in high school. I acted in high school. I won a bunch of awards because in Texas, we had this thing called the University Interscholastic League where we would compete in drama tournaments. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So early on, I was winning a bunch of awards and, and, and getting that sort of positive reinforcement. So they knew I was good at it. Yeah. What they didn't anticipate was that it was possible to make a living. Right. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a middle class kid from a middle class family. Sure. But when I got the, the advantage to getting to Dallas-Fort Worth and going to school in that area was professional theater. I did a lot of stuff at Stage West in Fort Worth, but also it was a, a big hub for for film and television. The Dallas series was there. Hmm. There were a ton of TV yeah, there were a ton of TV yeah. movies being made there and they were the number one industrial and commercial producer in the country. So I became a professional actor at 19 and and they saw some of the stuff that I was doing and they they saw them, you know, the fact that I was paying my bills being an actor and so it it never became a question after that. They thought it was a phase that I might grow out of. They realized right. that, that no, I could actually embrace this and do it for the rest of my life. That's amazing. Did you always know you wanted to be an actor or did you want to be something else when you were super young, like a veterinarian or other things? What's funny is that is that the first time my dad asked me that, I think it was like 12 or 13, mm-hmm. and I, I, I didn't hesitate. I said, I want to be a writer. Right. And, and <laughs> uh, he went, well, son, you might want to think about a job where you can make a little bit more money. <laughs> and I came back a year later and said, yeah, I want to be an actor. And he said, that's not exactly what I had in mind. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly it was, the it opposite. Was, yeah. It was, it was a slow <laughs> process. For, and I mean, the beauty of it is, is that what, just a year and a half ago, I published my first novel finally. So I, I never let go of that dream either. Oh, that's amazing. We're going to, sh- we'll include that as a link in the show notes. That's Please so do. Great. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It's it's called The Tinderbox Soldier of Indira. I wrote it with my wife, Yvonne. She does 30 illustrations in it. The original idea came from her to sort of do a, a, a different take on Hans Christian Andersen's The Tinderbox. And so I turned it into a sci-fantasy opus. That's very cool. Star Wars-y. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. That's great. Our co-host, Raman, has a different podcast called Quarantine Comics. And this sounds like the kind of thing that they would want to read on that podcast. Oh, they would dig that because it, it yeah. started out, her, her original idea was to do it as a graphic novel. And then I said, I looked at the, the panels that she had done. I said, well, this is a movie. And then I wrote the screenplay. And when I finished the screenplay, I thought, nobody's going to give me the money to direct this. <laughs> so then I said, well, let's write the novel. And then if Michael Bay wants to give me a lot of money, I'll, I'll let him direct it. Well, Michael Bay, if you're listening, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there's the next project. There you so go. So let's talk about your latest project, Easter Sunday which released at the, I think when we aired this, it would have released probably last weekend. Great. How did you get involved? Like, what are your thoughts on it? And tell us a little bit about it. Well, they approached me to play this character named Lou Diamond Phillips. Uh, I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought, Hey, I think I can do that. 
Right, right. I, I think I'm authentic <laughs> enough for that. Yeah. So I, I, I had known Jojo for a while and mm-hmm. Joe Coy, who is the star of the movie and is the inspiration for it all in his family. And he really wanted to, to do this this beautiful love letter to the Filipino community and and just sort of thrilled that that he included me as as the OG. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the first Filipinos in, in Hollywood to actually kind of make it onto the big screen. So there was no way that I couldn't do it. We had right. to figure out a way to do it. And the other thing is I, I so rarely get to do comedy. I'm actually Emmy nominated for comedy, and but that's not the first thing that people think of when they when they think of me. And the fact that it's a Filipino movie and I'm Filipino. Right. Know? So right. this was this was an opportunity to really, really embrace the roots and uh, and put it out there. And we and we kind of make fun of it. I mean, one of the characters, Eugene Cordero, is like, Hey, I, I thought you were Mexican, which is most <laughs> people really and and I take that as a compliment, obviously, because I'm I've been Latino adjacent my entire career. Right. And I've been proud yeah. to represent the Latino community, the Native American community, all of that, and to try to do it with some dignity and respect. So uh, to be able to to bring that to to actually playing a Filipino is uh, obviously a, a a a real opportunity and one that I'm quite grateful for. Yeah, it's pretty unique, right? Like it is, and I've seen it. So it really is a love letter, and I think it's it kind of hints at, or either overtly points out, or just hints at cultural things, right? Like Filipino uh-huh. family stuff. And I'm yeah. not Filipino myself, but I've got a bunch of Filipino friends. And by watching it, I was able to recognize and pick up on a lot of like what Tita's doing and Tito's doing and just like the way the mom talks to the son. How much of that resembles things that you grew up around or or, or things that are true in your own life? It could have been, it could have been my story. It's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. I mean, literally my mother is in a feud right now with one of her sisters. <laughs> and I mean, li- about, as we speak. Yeah, about food or, right, exactly, their, their dish. <laughs> I don't, e- I don't even know what started it, but this is like the fourth or fifth time they've, they're never going to speak to each other again. And it's, uh, she's not quite as overbearing as Joe Coy's mom in the movie, played by Lydia Gaston, by the way, who was one of my royal wives when I did The King and I on Broadway back in 96 and 97. Right. So it's a small world. And Tia Carrera and I have been friends forever. Yeah. So, so much of it rings true. I mean, it is so specific to the Filipino culture, but you, you, being Asian yourself, I, I, I think you can see the family dynamic and yes. the the desire to to do something good, even even if it's not what your you know family or your culture wanted for you. I mean, there, there there's so much that applies across the board that that I I, I think that even if you're not Filipino American, you're going to get a lot out of it. Yeah. I think one thing that I really love, I'm not going to spoil the ending or anything, but I just love how when a family gets together, there's always the one, usually it's like one of the grandkids or one of the nephews, one of the nieces that have made it, right? Like there's always the one that has like broken through and is doing something different. And just the way they set that up here where Joe is the center of all that, it's just, it is just hilarious. So I really, I I had a lot of fun watching it and I think our listeners are going to have a lot of fun too. And it's funny. It's funny. It's, it's a comedy hilarious. that's funny. Thank goodness. Yeah, it is really, really funny. I have a couple of quick speed round questions. I know you're short sure. on time. So you have a couple minutes to do speed round with us. Absolutely. Sure. And hit me. Perfect. What is one thing about you that no one expects? Wow. That I'm tall. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm six foot tall. I'm taller than all the other young guns. They would put me in the back and on the shortest horse. So I've heard that a lot, that I'm the father of four daughters. Wow. Yeah, and that I cook. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a very, very good cook. What's your What's your best dish? 
I see. That's just it. Like my career, I, I, I've not focused on one thing. I mean, I make I make dishes sort sort of from every cuisine, and I don't have a favorite food as as a, as a person, so I don't have a favorite food to cook. Okay. Well, I have a I have a question coming about one of your favorite dishes that you like of someone else, but I'll I'll get to that in a second. Second question: What is a book or a movie with characters that you relate to? That you weren't in yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, that's 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 a good caveat. Wow, that's a very good question. Yeah, it, it's a wonderful life. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, that's yeah, that's the first one that comes Classic. to mind. Only, yeah, because I, I think hopefully we all try to do the best thing we can in life, and life throws you curveballs, and sometimes it's just so hard to keep going. And there are so many people that depend on you, and and. Uh, there's so much that's so true in that. And every every Christmas, it reduces me to tears. And I always raise a glass to, to all of the George Baileys out there yeah. trying to take care of their families and do do what they can and, and still find a little something for themselves. And then to understand all the little things that you've done that, that have impacted other people's lives. Right. And, and spreading kindness, spreading love, spreading compassion. Love that. Okay, here's the here's the food one. What is your favorite mom dish? What's a dish that mom would make? Oh my goodness, that's easy. It's it's a Filipino thing, really? uh, and it's yeah, yes, yeah, the the uh, pork and chicken adobo, mm. and it is so good and is such a staple in my family. I do it very very well, but Yvonne, my wife, who is German English, <laughs> she she does a great version of it. My daughter Grace, who's only a quarter Filipino, she does a great version of it now. So it's just it's just what it's it's one of the most simple but satisfying dishes. It's it's got so much depth, but it's not difficult to make. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Who's someone out there that you'd want to talk to on a podcast? Wow. There, there are so many interesting people. Dead or alive. So it can be anybody. Oh, dead. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Following politics a lot uh, uh. these days and actually really, really surprised by how many smart people out there, how many people out there, I think, ha- have a great take on what's going on. So, I mean, conversations can, can range all over the place. Gosh, when I, when I try to think of one person right now, hmm. John Stewart's got his pulse on a lot of what's going on right now. And, and, and I, I just really think he's, he's fascinating. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm proud for how he's standing up. Beta O'Rourke, I would, I'd, like to, I'd yeah. like to get his take on a lot of things because I think he's one of the people that can move the needle in, in a direction that I think we needed to move in. I, I've had the opportunity to speak briefly with Vice President Kamala. And God, she's my hero, Lou. Can you tell her that I love her when you see her again? I certainly will. Well, I mean, yeah, and she was so kind to my daughter, oh. uh, Indigo. We we met on a Zoom. I was doing a fundraiser for the Democratic Committee. And, uh, yeah. and I said, please, do you mind if my daughter says hi? And she was so, ins- Indigo said, I, I'm so sorry, I can't vote for you. And she <laughs> says, it doesn't matter. You are all, you already a voice. You are already a force. Oh. And I'm power and she empowered my 14 year old and and i happen to love that that my daughter indigo uh no knows all who politicians are but she also knows every single anchor on cnn (laughs) (laughs) i love that too okay final question and then i'll let you go what does being a modern minority mean for you it means changing perceptions. I can tell you that right now i mean it's 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 like don't make our boxes smaller let's make them bigger and I, I don't have to justify your perception of me. It's you know, it's very Popeye. I am what I am. And yeah. it, it, unfortunately, we, we live in a society that with the sound bites and the 160 characters and, and he- headlines without reading the story, everybody wants their understanding of something to be diminished and to put into these small packages when the truth of the matter is who we are as individuals, who we are as 
perhaps mixed race Americans or immigrants or anything else is not easily digestible if you're looking for a chicken McNugget. It's bigger than that. And it's about understanding and education and representation. And and I've discovered throughout my, what, 30-something years in, in, in Hollywood that you, you lead by example. You walk the walk. You don't just talk the talk. Lou, that's a great answer. And you have been an inspiration to us all. So thank you again for spending this time. It was such an honor getting to know you. Good luck with everything. And I hope we talk again. Anytime. This, this is a wonderful podcast. Thanks for having me. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us. Hi, mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Raman Segel. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.